0: This essay is from Cinema Year Zero. You can find us at cinemayearzero.com or on Twitter and Instagram at Year Zero Cinema. Hello, and welcome back to the Cinema Year Zero podcast, where essays printed on the website are read out loud by their authors for your listening pleasure. My name is Maximilian Luke Proctor. I'm the editor-in-chief of a website called Ultra Dogma. I'd like you to check it out. And I'd also like you to consider giving Cinema Year Zero a Kofi on their Kofi site. If you'd like to hear the ad-free version of this recording, you'll have to support Ultra Dogma and Cinema Year Zero. I'm sorry. Potential energy in landscape portraits. With documentaries constantly at war with themselves, documentary effectively fails as a genre label. Objective is an absolute fallacy so long as human hands guide the camera and an individual can be credited with authorship. But in an effort towards it, some popular examples of the form have tended in recent decades to fall into the same patterns, leaning ever further from actually documenting life as it is. The general trend in American-made documentaries is leaning away from observers like Frederick Wiseman, despite the presence of Ex Libris on the 2017 Oscars finalist shortlist, it wasn't nominated, and instead toward the idea of constructing crime-focused studies built around narrative-style beats and hooks with shocking reveals. I think The Imposter from 2012 is the last example of this that I actually watched, though I've avoided numerous Netflix docs that offered a whiff of something similar. Paradoxically, the films which seem to best fit the idea of documentary, of truth, of closely documenting the lives of their makers, are those most often relegated to the fringes of moving image culture. Diary films from Jonas Mikas, Diaries, Notes, and Sketches, aka Walden, 1968, to Anne Charlotte Robertson, Five-Year Diary, 1981-1997, first-person location studies from Robert Beavers, from The Notebook of. 1971, 2000, to Sue Friedrich, Rules of the Road, 1993. If we consider a documentary to be a document of a certain space at a given time, then allow us to consider the ways by which experimental film takes this concept to its logical conclusion and formally refigures its very parameters. A great deal of experimental film meets the basic definition of documentary. According to Oxford, a non-fiction film, which documents reality primarily for the purposes of instruction, education, or maintaining a historical record, although how the space is documented rarely matches with our preconceptions of how it should be photographed correctly in order to present the space objectively. The question becomes whether or not a diary or otherwise stylistically subjective vision of the world qualifies as maintaining a historical record. That is to say, Though visually radical, Mexican filmmaker Teo Hernandez's Lo de la Seine is certainly a document of the water in the Seine River in 1983, despite not being a traditional image of a body of water. Hernandez's camera captures late afternoon sunlight reflected on the river in a rapid-fire continuous movement in all directions, with low shutter speeds causing the glistening light to streak accordingly. Likewise, Nathaniel Dorsky's Arboretum cycle captures the San Francisco Arboretum near his home for two hours without any single obvious wide shot of the entrance or any site-specific man-made indications of where we are. So if I have seen the film, have I seen the Arboretum? Certainly not, though I have seen what the Arboretum means to Dorsky. The largely out-of-focus close-ups construct an external projection of his interior understanding of the landscape. In some instances, the images are almost unrecognizable as plants, though the fact that they are still discernible as plants tells us that they are filmed without true abstraction in mind, meant instead as a small recalibration, just as valuable, or more valuable, of a document of the arboretum as any visually straightforward showing of it. Such roads of questioning eventually lead to James Benning whose documentations of space early in his career meant traveling through various geographies nearly without altering the frame, such as in the United States of America, 1975, co-directed by Betty Gordon, bringing images of Oklahoma oil wells to New York in Oklahoma, 1978, and looking for topographical indications of what might provoke murder in a small town in Landscape Suicide, 1987. Eventually, his work slowed into static landscape studies, spending prolonged periods of time with smaller stretches of space. Thirteen lakes, 2004, a patch of sky in Faraki, 2014, a single field in L. Cohen, 2018. Though Benning's images are minimalistic, they are often loaded with inferred emotion. Look no further than the last two mentioned titles, Odes to Fallen Friends, Faraki offers a static shot of the sky, as a billow of clouds pass overhead for nearly 80 minutes, and El Cohen shows us a static landscape for 45 minutes, interspersed with a brief eclipse and the Cohen track, Love Itself. Avant-gardists seek to not only represent a space, but really show us what they're made of, to forego the physical in search of the emotional. What that emotion looks like is up to its maker. That is to say, clouds, however traditionally photographed they might be, are never only clouds, yet the degree to which they may embrace headspace depends on the filmmaker's formal decisions, in this case, Banning's insistence upon a singular image. In the case of Dorsky, it's through an unorthodox engagement with traditional lens functions, focus and aperture. There is potential energy hidden in the land, energy which requires skill in order to be found. The work of the aforementioned Teo Hernandez is a great example of recontextualizing how we think of physical properties on screen. His camera constantly performs the impossible, rarefying objects, people, and structures in a warped spiral flurry, shooting at low shutter speeds, sometimes single frames, and constantly zooming rapidly in and out. The effect is one of hyperfocus and constant surprise. As we adjust to the whiplash, we watch closely so as not to miss an image. While Hernandez disassembles reality before our very eyes, we are amazed by our own eyes' capacity to still recognize the fundamentals of the objects being altered. In Midi, 1985, he shows how one can move actual mountains. Physical properties as we know them are only facades, separating any given landscape's potential energy from our perception of it. While the camera constantly spins, twists, zooms, and elongates physical properties, and the, what seems to be edited entirely in camera, montage cuts most moments down to flashes of impressions, the spaces remain legible. In fact, they arguably make stronger impressions as we struggle to catch them flashing by than they would if we had a long and clearer view. The films also hold fleeting moments of unfiltered clarity, when the incessant motion pauses to recognize the blood spat by a bull in a fight, in Midi. Travelogues like Souvenir de Florence and A Montpellier, 1981 and 1988, respectively, document relaxed vacation travels, though always filtered through Théo's agitated fidgets. Statues, dogs, shops, and tourists all fly by, subject to Théo's physically rearranging whims. In the former film, his gaze finally settles for a prolonged and sober look at a hunched over old woman begging her way through the sparse population of a shaded veranda held up by Roman columns. In the context of a body of work built primarily from shots lasting less than a second and focused on playing with architecture, this full minute and a half dedication to human struggle on the streets is startling. Though handheld, it is nearly stoic for Teo. Then 15 seconds of stoicism dedicated to a man asleep on the street. Another flurry of city shots and a third pause on a young girl beggar, holding her baby brother, largely ignored by the crowd. These are devastating moments of documentary, a reminder that looking does not always equate to seeing. If you're interested in reading the text of this essay alongside Several still images from the films mentioned. You can find it on Cinema Year Zero, including a link to Lightcone, where you can watch preview files of several Theo Hernandez films. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please consider donating to our Ko-fi at ko ficom cinema year zero. That's ko-fi.comslash cinema year zero.